Welcome to Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, the show where we dish out tips and advice for mystical business owners and service providers. Now, if you're not sure what a mystical business owner is, here's what it's all about. If you work as a tarot card reader, astrologer, Reiki healer, intuitive counselor, oracle medium, or if there's any kind of spiritual, sacred, or mystical art that's part of your profession, we're talking about you. And I'm Teresa, and my lovely co-host. Hey, everyone. I'm Bree. So we have both, Teresa and I, how we have been self-employed sacred artists running our own businesses for many, many years, and yet we still look fabulous. <laughs> and we know, <laughs> we know what goes into running a successful business. We really do. One of the awesome things about both of our businesses is that they, they have longevity, um, for real. And we know how much heart and grit and hustle it takes to get your businesses afloat and keep things rocking along to play that long game. So we do this show together as an offering to our community once a month because we love sharing the business strategies that we've learned over the years and we love seeing our fellow mystics thrive and succeed. We want there to be more professional sacred artists and tarot readers and mystics out there making their services available because if the world was ever in a time when it needed it, the time is now. Absolutely. And also, you know, you and I can't serve everybody. (laughs) And I always say that we need more people in our professions to get going and get up to speed because there are a lot of people who are looking for it. And, and, you know, not everybody wants to work with me. They don't maybe dig me. So we need you guys out there to take take the torch and keep going. And, you know, our goal is to really inspire and to show you that you can do it because if we can do it, so can you. Anyhow, we can go on and on about that as a topic, right? We could. We really could. Yeah. It's important. But, we tackle different topics in every episode. We already have a topic picked out for this month in our topic because we are focusing on books this year um, because Bree has a book coming out and I have two more books coming out. So we've got a lot of book stuff happening in our world. So we thought this is the year to talk about books. And there's so many mystical entrepreneurs who really want to write books or maybe they got a book out there. They don't know what to do, and we're hoping that all the topics that we cover this year is really going to be like kind of like book school for uh, metaphysical entrepreneurs. And today what we're talking about is how to write your book. You know, last month we talked about book proposals, but now let's get down to the meat of actually writing the darn book. So, Bree, what were the first steps when you began writing your book? Oh my goodness. So, you know, you get your, you get your acceptance letter and, you know, you talk with the publisher and you're so excited and you're jumping up and down. That's what I did. Um, and then the next week you find out that you're pregnant and that is what happened to me. And you think, huh, I have to write a book now. Okay. So for me, because I have a young child, I have, he is, at the time of this show, he is seven years old, but he will like you to know that on March 1st, he will be turning eight. And because I was pregnant during the entire writing of my book, I had a lot going on. I had a lot going on in my family, and I had a lot going on in my 
personal life. And so what I realized was that I really needed to have a couple of hours every day where I could focus on my book. You know, the other thing that applied to me, and I'm sure it applies to many of our listeners, and I know, Teresa, it applies to you, is that, you know, while you're writing this book, the rest of your business is continuing to happen, right? So it's not like I got to take a vacation um, from my business and, and, you know, like quit all of that. So customer service and the offerings and the services and the updating the website and the sending out of emails, like all of that had to happen. So the very first thing that I did was I sat down and I made a list of every single task for my business that I was responsible for. And then I put my team together. My team includes a virtual assistant. It includes a web designer and illustrator. And it also includes my beloved husband who does so many backroom things for my business. And I said, here's everything I'm responsible for. Now, we need to divvy up these tasks so that my plate is lighter so that I'm able to get this book written. So that was the first thing that I did, and that, and it became our code of operations, and it's actually become a really essential working document for my business. It has due dates and tasks, and everybody's able to stay very organized and on top of it, which is great. It meant that during the writing and the editing of the book, no, no part of my business fell behind. Then... I looked at my schedule and I said, where can I have two hours where I won't be disturbed? I don't have a doctor's appointment. I don't have anything else going on and I can really be focused on my book. And for me, those two hours are the blessed hours between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. So every single day starting the first month that I was writing my book and it took me, I wrote my book basically, the first draft was done by the end of January, the second draft was due by the end of February and I had a working uh, manuscript into my publisher by the beginning of May. I got up every single morning at 4 a.m. and I wrote for two hours. First, I did it longhand because I really like writing longhand, and then we transferred it all to the computer. I went through three drafts of my manuscript before I had a draft that I was happy in sending into the publisher. So giving yourself plenty of time to go through the revision process is huge. And so, you know, it was sitting down at the computer or sitting down with notebook and pen and writing for two hours. No excuses, no interruptions, no distractions. And that's how it went for me. Teresa, what about you? You know, I always envy those people who are able to take generous amounts of time off. You know, like maybe they have a spouse that's supporting them or they have some other source of income um, because that's not the reality for most of us. For most of us, like you, really brilliantly, you know, illustrated, I mean, you were pregnant in writing and you had a little boy at home. And you're running a business, and I'm running, you know, a full-time business, um, promoting a current book that's out there, taking care of this household. Uh, I've got fantasies of doing this Marie Kondo on my home, but I had a book to write. <laughs> so the Marie Kondo thing didn't happen. But, you know, my first steps were carving out that time. And i got to tell you, Bree, that was the hardest part for me. It meant getting up really early. It meant working every weekend. It meant writing into the night. It meant when I had insomnia, I got my butt out of bed and I wrote. You know, so it it was really challenging, 
But that's the first step. The first step is ultimately finding the time to write. And then the other thing for me is like really having a good outline and a good outline to work with. Mm -hmm. And so I could refer back to the outline anytime I started going off on a tangent or feeling a little bit lost. Getting on top of that was really important. So, you know, really that was the big secret. It's like making the time and then having an outline. Those are my first steps. Yeah, that outline, you're absolutely right about that. That outline is, is a lifesaver, like having yeah. having that outline ready to rock. And, you know, carving out the time, Teresa, did you, I'm curious, did you put the time on your calendar? Because for the first month, I actually put it on my calendar. From 4 to 6 a.m., I am writing, you know. And if you're bleeding, like, you need to go find somebody who's not me to handle your bleeding or your, your broken arm or whatever because I'm writing. And yep. I, I, put it, I put it on my calendar. Did you actually put it on your calendar? It was written. All my writing stuff was written in my calendar. My calendar is my thing. Uh, you know yeah. that I've got three planets in Virgo. I plan everything by astrology. Um, and I even like starting writing the book. I had to start on an auspicious day. Uh, you know, so I had that scheduled in. But then it was always written down that this is when you write. This is when you write. This is when you write. So it was marked off absolutely on the calendar because when it's on the calendar, it gets done. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think that that's, that's really huge. Yeah, very, very true. So let's talk about writing habits too. I mean, you mentioned yes, tell making me about the your time. Yeah, well, I'll tell you mine. I'd love to hear yours too. Um, because if we are talking about scheduling it, what about the actual habit? Well, you know, for me, I have very good writing habits because I've been blogging for so many years. And so I have a really structured schedule for doing the writing around that. And, again, much as like you put things on a schedule, there's also my routine for writing. It's like I sit down, I turn off my distractions, um, I let my husband know I'm going to be writing now. I let Megan, my daughter, know I'm going to be writing now. Do not be bugging me. Um, you know, and then I put on this thing called Focus at Will. I think that's what it's called. It's a subscription music thing that plays this music, or you can, like, have it play coffee shop noises or whatnot um, in the background. And it really, this sounds really weird, but it really helps me to get in the mood. When I put that on, it's like it's automatically said, uh, into my brain that now you write. And I sit down for the time I have allotted and I write. Now, I'll give you an example. So for yesterday, I my goal was to have a full day of writing. And so my habit, you know, again, get my big mug of tea and I got a new giant mug that I love because it means less time getting up and down. Um, <laughs> put on my music, my focus at will, sat down, looked at the projects that I had to take care of, and then I went to town. And I got up, you know, of course, to use the restroom and get more tea, but I stayed there until my responsibilities were done because that's the thing with writing. I take it like this is a responsibility. This is my work. It's my livelihood. So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take it seriously. I'm sure Stephen King and Anne Lamott and all the people who have written books about writing probably say, too, that they have a routine, they have a habit. What about you? What are your writing habits? I mean, you already said you have a schedule, but what else? Yeah, so, I mean, very similar, you know, I mean, the thing about a writing habit is it doesn't really matter what it is as long as you're writing. Um, so that, and with that 
sounds really simple and it's really not because it's very easy to distract yourself with a million things. So when I sit down to write, um, if I'm on the computer, I close up everything except the writing program that I'm using. If I'm writing on notebook paper, then I close up everything that's electronic. Um, I do not have my phone anywhere near me. So I can't, if people are texting me, I don't see it. And believe it or not, even though my hours are so early from 4 to 6 a.m., um, my mom is up really early. And so she always, she'll always be, like, texting me. So I, I don't have my phone anywhere near me. And I have, when I'm working on a book, I pick an album that is the album for the book. And so, and, and usually it's, it's like deep focus type music. So there's not lyrics, it's instrumental. Um, and so I'll put that on. I have my cup of coffee and I always do a little ritual before I start to write. And I ask that my words be true and that they be of good use, and that they be of help, and that whatever needs to be said and needs to be expressed has an open road and is able to come through clearly and articulately. Right on. So, you know, um, I think the distraction thing is such a big thing. And I just got a real quick question. For your writing habits, how do you not get distracted by kids? Well, I wake up before they do, right? (laughs) Because that was what I discovered early on was, you know, by the time when I started working on the book, and and I've known this from newsletters and other writing pieces as well, you know, like by the time 8 o'clock rolls around, I have, and my husband and I have gotten our, our, you know, oldest, ready for school, and we've taken him to school. The baby has been up. He's been changed. He's been fed. So, like, there's all of this stuff that happens between the hours of 6 and 8 at my house. And by that point in time, I'm a little bit exhausted, usually, and I'm really not in the headspace to write. Mm -hmm. So, for me, it was really essential that I find a time where I wouldn't be distracted by kids. And so those right. are the hours between four and six. And if something does happen, like the baby often wakes up between that period of time, my husband, being the amazing man that he is, is on it because he knows that that's my time to write. Yep. And that's part of my job. And so, and then that also is really nice because then when my oldest gets home from school, like I can really be with him. And yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like halfway distracted because I didn't get my two hours in. Like I got my two hours in. You know, um, my cats sometimes, this is going to sound ridiculous. Get an idea. No, cats are, I know exactly what you mean by cats. cats yeah, are and you know, it's like they want to like claw on my hair, they want to get on my lap. Yeah. And one of them, the way he gets on my lap is it makes it very difficult for me to get any typing done. And by the way, I don't yeah. use a laptop. I have to use a desktop because, you know, I'm a yoga teacher, so I want to be ergonomically correct. And so it's very hard to be ergonomically correct when you've got this cat in some weird position on your lap. So that was <laughs> some of the things that sometimes derailed or slowed down my progress. You know, it's funny you say that because my cat got into the habit of when 6 o'clock hit, Mm -hmm. he would jump into my lap and he would, like, sink his claws into my thigh, letting me know, okay, now you're done and I want you to feed me. 
Yeah. They have the, they, they've got their thing. I've got to feed the cats before I can work. Otherwise, it's mayhem. Nothing gets yeah. done. Yeah. Especially because my one yeah. cat is so demanding and he's very food aggressive. So food's mm-hmm. got to get done. Yeah, that's it. And that's actually a really good point. Like, if there are things like that that you know are going to come up and interrupt you during your process, like feeding the cats or letting the dog out to go pee or whatever it is, like, do those things. Like, right. get that done so that you can then so be really not disturbed. Right. So, you know, let's talk about um, tools for writing. I mean, we're already talking about our habits. And so I'm always curious about, you know, the tools that people use. I mean, Rachel Pollack writes her book by hand, which I think is Wow. And, of course, you know, I idolize Rachel, so anything Rachel anything Rachel Pollock or Mary Greer does, I'm always like, oh, my God. So, anyhow, I thought <laughs> she wrote her book on my hands, and, and Rachel's a pen fanatic, and she collects all these pens, and that's so interesting to me. Uh, my friend Sarah Selecki, who just put out a fabulous book, and even though I'm not a fiction writer, I've been reading it. It's Radiant Shimmering Light. It's so, so good. Oh, my God. I think everybody should read it. But, anyhow, she used Scrivener. So what about you? Are there any special programs or tools that you use when you wrote your book? Uh, such a good question. Um, so I am a pen and paper girl all the way. And <gasps> You're like first, Rachel Pollack. Yeah, yeah I, I am. I am. <laughs> and I, I still have the first manuscript that I wrote with pen on paper. I wrote it, dur- I wrote it a year ago. I wrote it during the month of uh, – it, it was January. And so – I really, I love pen and paper. I, I really do. And for me, it's always where I have to begin. Now, once I had finished that, um, I was ready to do the second draft. And at that point, I transferred everything to the computer. For me, that's not a big deal because I'm a super fast typer. I started out with Scrivener, um, and, and I, I use Scrivener actually throughout the manuscript writing on the computer. And I like Scrivener, um, but I also like Word and I also like pages. So, I mean, a lot of people are like, Scrivener is life changing. And I think it's awesome and it does keep you organized. But I also think that, like, if you don't have Scrivener and you don't want to pay for it, because it is a, the full, the full Monty is a paid thing. Um, you can use Word, and that's what your publisher will most likely use. Like, my experience was that my edits and everything, all of that happened in a Word document. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to pay for something and you have a, an Apple, like I do, pay for a Word subscription or for the software, because that's what you're going to be using when you're editing the manuscript. What about you, T? What do you do? What's your, what's your writing venue process? <laughs> Where do you write? It's very simple. It's it's Word. And I, by the way, I'm going to say this. I hate Word. Let me say it again. I hate Word. I prefer <laughs> to use Pages on Mac because that's what I'm used to. But Word is usually the document that they want your manuscript in. So what I would do is I would actually write it in Pages, copy and paste it, and put it into Word. That's how yeah. I did it. Nice. Pain in the butt. But anyhow. <laughs> So <laughs> let's talk about oh, first. Go ahead. One, one thing we should say at this point, Teresa, is that it's really important to back up your work. Girl, let me talk about that for a second because, <laughs> you know, this is, the, this is the biggest lesson that I learned in writing. So 
Anyhow, as you know, I hate Word. Why? Well, I, I had everything on Word for one of the books I wrote last year. I had 60,000 words. I was 60,000 words into it. And I had not backed up for a while. And, of course, you know what happened, right? Suddenly, I, I <laughs> there, yes, there was a glitch, and my entire manuscript disappeared. It was gone. I mean, girl, I did everything to try to get that thing back. I did. I followed all the things online. I could not get it back. It was like gone, daddy, gone. Now, there is no, there's nothing more horrifying to a writer than losing your work. And I remember one time I saw this episode of Sex in the City where Carrie wasn't backing her stuff up and she lost things. And normally I'm like the backup queen. I don't know what, I, I think I was on a roll. I was writing like a maniac and I was like, and it just, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. So anyhow, thankfully I had some of the work in various places. Um, and I was able to put it back together like Frankenstein and I, I ended up losing a total of 20,000 words then, so when it was all said and done. So I had to go back and then redo 20,000 words because I was stupid enough not to back it up. So what I've learned since then, and my brilliant writing daughter said, Mom, <laughs> you back it up to multiple places. So she gave me her instruction on how she does it. And what my daughter does is um, you take, first of all, you take a, one of those little thumb drives, you put a copy there. Then you put a copy, of course, in your on your computer and a copy on Dropbox. And for extra measure, you take your manuscript and you email yourself a copy of it. Boom, boom, boom. That was a tip I got from someone else. So, yes, Word can eat your programs. That is something that we don't know. You know, a computer can have a glitch. All of a sudden your work is gone. Save your work. Save your work. Absolutely. And and what, Teresa, since we're on the topic, what other tools did you find really helpful in the writing process? You mentioned the a music subscription that you have, like you mm-hmm. mentioned Dropbox, which I also use. Like what are what are some of the tools that people should at least know about as they begin writing? I have one tool that is my favorite thing. It's called Grammarly. G R A M M A R L Y. And Grammarly, you can you can get a free version. Or you can get the paid version. I have the paid version. And you can then put your work in there and make sure that the grammar is tight, the spelling is correct. You would not believe how many errors I would find in my own writing, and I'm actually fairly decent at that. And then you can also run it through a plagiarism checker. to Because, you know, sometimes you, you if, with your work, not that you're going to plagiarize or anything, but you want to make sure that yours isn't too close to somebody else's stuff. That's right. So that's, that's right. also a really great thing. Um, well, I suppose for people who like to plagiarize, it's probably a really great thing. But for those of us who really <laughs> want to make sure our work is really highly original and there's nothing, um, you know, that's going to um, be a conflict, that's really super helpful. So Grammarly is the best thing. It's so good for writers. Get the paid version because you get – uh, you could also get somebody um, on Grammarly to look over your work, which I don't uh, because I have my editors that I pay for. But it is really nice to be able to make sure that your writing is tight, it's grammatically correct, um, and that your work is really, like, true to your voice. So I really – do you use Grammarly? You know, I have used Grammarly in the past, and I, I find that 
it's distracting for me, but I'm also married to Grammarly in the form of my husband. Right. So I don't really have to have it, but I love it as a, as a program and as a resource, especially if people are not sure about their grammar. I think that it's really, really good. And it's also, it's a plugin. So it will also, you can, yep. you can set it so that it also like helps you with emails, which mm-hmm. like if you're emailing your publisher a lot, like, you know, it's good to have appropriate yep. grammar in those emails. So it, it's very handy all around. Absolutely. And I mean, I just think all the features on there are great, especially because my daughter says that I have a comma problem. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's my comma problem. So I'm, a, I'm just a really big fan of Grammarly, and I think that that's something every writer should use, especially if you do have comma problems or grammar problems. And it's really nice to catch those little spelling errors that, I mean, you, you don't think you misspelled, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, I spelled, you know, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E when it should have been Y-O-U-R, you know, so it's really, it's just great. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, first drafts are really tough. Annie Lamont calls them shitty first drafts. So let's talk about first drafts. How did your first draft come together or not? My first draft was a hot mess. It was awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wrote it. I wrote it by hand. And the most valuable thing about my first draft is that the the overall structure of the book really reveals itself. And there were some passages that were just super inspired and gorgeous and that made it into the final copy. Um, with that said, a lot of the first draft had to go and it had to be reworked and you know it was actually in the in the first draft making that I discovered the importance of having a really solid outline because I didn't have a really solid outline when I started and by the end when I saw the hot mess that was my first draft um, I was able to you know kind of retrieve the outline of the book and the skeleton of the book from that first draft and so that was really really valuable. But I mean, you know, I, I think at least in my experience, like I looked at the first draft and I was like, I don't, is this ever, is this going to happen? I don't know if this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not sure about it. What about you? How was your first draft? And you've written, as you said, you know, you've written several books now, Teresa. So have you noticed differences um, in your second book and in your third book and the first drafting of those the works? first draft is always crap. I mean, really, I'm going to be frank. It's always crap. For, you know, when I did my first book, um, I like to say when I write, I kind of do my writing like stream of consciousness. Um, It's just kind of like I just write what I feel, what I think, what I know. Um, And then I always go back and I'm like, what the hell were you trying to say there, girl? (laughs) And so, you know, it, it requires me to go back. And also what I found, too, is like, as, I, as I'm putting it all together, the first draft, um, I end up going back later and it's like, the structure, let me move this around. So there's a lot of moving around that needs to happen. But, you know, the first yeah. draft is kind of like you got to, it's like you're getting it out of your system. It's like I'm getting mm-hmm. it out, I'm spilling it out, it's coming out. It, I almost think it's like word vomit, you know. And then once it's, it's done, you look at it and it's like, okay, I highly doubt anyone ever gets their first draft out and says, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. That certainly didn't happen for me with any of my books. And, you know, frankly, when I do blogging, too, I put my first draft together 
it's always crap. I also back and look at it and say, wow, that sucked. But you've got to get it out of your system first in order then to begin the actual work of making it work. That's it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And and it teaches you the habit of of writing. Like, you know, you show up every day and you get the first draft done. And then you're like, okay, well, I finished it. Like, it may be terrible, but I finished it. So now let's finish something that's not terrible. Yep, it's lame, but let's work on this now. That's it. That is it. So once the first draft is together, then it's time to edit. So what is your advice on editing the book? I love editing. I like editing better than writing. I hate to say that. But when I go back (laughs) and edit, I'm not just talking about the comma problem and that, but really looking at the words and what I wrote and saying, oh, crap, that could be said a better way. You know, I just love that. And this this is the Virgo part of me. I've got three planets in Virgo, so the Virgo part loves to come in and edit. It loves to tear things down, trim things down, make things more concise and clean. So I love editing. So my process is, you know, after I get my first draft, there's a lot of editing. And I usually do probably three drafts because I'll edit it twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, and then what I also do then is I put other eyes on it. And so my daughter, who, you know, has a master's in writing and she's a creative writer and she's really brilliant with grammar and punctuation, once I've written it, it goes right to her. Once I've gotten, you know, it edited. And she comes back and she always is able to catch the things I didn't catch. And she has suggestions. And it's really good to get suggestions about um, your book from somebody else. I think getting someone else's eyes on it who can be objective before you send it off to the publisher is one of the best things that you can do. So my books went through her eyes and then it came back to me. And then I put it through someone else's eyes too. You know, someone I trust, Alexandra Franzen, who is my writing coach and mentor, and she looked at my books too and said, well, you know, this works, this doesn't work. And really getting that advice, then I was able to go back in again and really tighten things up. And you know and I know that even once we do that, the next thing is it goes to the publisher and then there's more editing because they run it through their copy editors and then they go back and forth with you on uh, editing until it really gets done right. There is so much that goes into the editing process, so much that goes into cleaning it up, making it tight, making it right. So it's it's a long process. It involves many eyes. What about you? I mean, I'm sure you, you said you had David. Go over yours. Yeah, I mean, so very similar to you, you know, I start out with the draft and then that that first draft, no matter how terrible it is, I send it straight to David. And we use Dropbox Paper um, as our editing platform because he was able to pop in there, make changes and make comments and ask questions. And you can both work on the, the document at the same time and really be collaborating. And I think getting that other pair of eyes on the work is really important. We went through three editorial phases of the manuscript before we sent it in. And what I can tell you, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, is that the publishers were so grateful because when they came back to us with the first round of what's called macro edits, those are like the big edits, there were actually very few of them. And then when we made those changes, 
and they came back to us with the first round of micro edits, of which there were there were not that many. You know, it, it made the whole process a lot smoother and flow a lot smoothly, uh, a lot more smoothly. And you know, the other thing about editing is there's a way that you're editing a lot longer than you think you are. Like I just got uh, the first proof of my book. And I went over it, and, and you know, there were a few things for editing. There were a few words that needed to be capitalized that weren't, or they needed to be lowercase, or certain constructions that needed to be made consistent throughout the text. So, you know, there are different levels of editing, and there are different, you know, phases of editing. And I think if you go into the writing process knowing that editing is not like a one-and-done deal, but that it is going to have several different levels and several different phases, the entire thing will go a lot more smoothly for you. Mm-hmm. Right on. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, um, putting things on the schedule. So when you're going through the editing process and all this fine-tuning your book with your editor, how do you do that while you're running a business and having another baby? I mean, because this is the last thing after the book is done. <laughs> yeah, so my manuscript was due on June 1st, and our second child was born on June 13th. So, so they, <laughs> they were really, like, neck and neck with each other. Um, so one thing that I did was I got the manuscript in a month early because I didn't want to be thinking about the book when I was getting ready to go into labor. I wanted to really be have my energy focused on going into labor and having a healthy, bouncing baby boy. And and so that was the first thing. Um, the other thing is, again, just, just really knowing and being clear about what's coming forward and, and what's coming down the pike. So I had really good communication with my publisher. They knew that I was having a baby. And so, you know, we talked about, when do you want the first round of macro edits? And basically, they they didn't need them until the beginning of August, which gave me a couple of months to kind of get settled in with Heath before we then turned our attention to doing those edits. Um, and the other thing is having, you know, whether you hire someone or you are lucky to be married to somebody like I am, Having somebody to help you with that aspect of the work is really invaluable if you have a new baby or if you have a new business that you're launching or, you know, you have something going on in your life that's going to take up some time and create some upheaval, then it's really just about planning and also having the right support systems in place. I think that if you can do those two things, you can you can get so much accomplished and it can be really quite awesome. And you know, on the same in, in the same vein, Teresa, you being the type A overachiever that you are, you did not write one book last year. You wrote two books last year. So how did you do that? First of all, I'll tell everyone who's listening, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. Do not take – I got cocky. You know, I thought, you know, I'm a fast writer. I'm really efficient. I get stuff done. I blog like crazy. Yeah. When I talk to a publisher, I can write two books. Yeah. I can't because they liked both of my book proposals. Um, so anyhow, I got cocky. And let me tell you, that was tough. I first, My first thought was like, well, I'll write a little for this book and a little for the other book each day and get it all done. That didn't work. Yeah. 
because I couldn't go between two different brains. So finally I said, let me get the one that has the first deadline done. Let me do that first. And so I did that, and it was, you know, really challenging because I also had a co-writer. And when you're working with somebody, we'll talk about this on a future episode, you know, it, it's challenging um, because we got to work around both of our schedules, but we did it. And then the second book on top of it, it just felt like I felt like I couldn't catch a break. Um, so it was a lot of a lot of sitting my butt on the computer um, it was it was just rough, you know. So it's all managing like really having very little time for fun. And you know, I get some friends of mine who get really mad when I don't go out and socialize. And it's like, you guys, you do not understand how much is on my plate right now. So my social life was down to like nothing. Only the very little socializing I was doing was, you know, um, when I got to go to a conference or something. But even then, when I wasn't attending the conference, I was back at the hotel writing. So. Yeah, it was just it was just there was no time. So, uh, yeah, I do not recommend writing two books in one year. Uh, but if you are going to do that, if you're crazy enough to take on the challenge, then you better be ready to make a lot of sacrifices. That's I think it. the social part is really is really true. Um, you know, I sent out an email actually to a bunch of my friends, and I was like, "Look, I'm basically off the map and not available." Um, from, you know, June until September. So if you email me and I don't respond or if you want to get together and I can't see you, like, please don't be offended. This is what's going on. (laughs) Right. But I have people that got really, really pissy with me. They thought I was rejecting them. And it's like, you do not understand this is a priority. This is a priority. So don't take it personally. So, you know, my personal life really took a bit of a dump. Uh, but I'm kind of an introvert anyways, you know, really frankly, being at home with the cats and reading a book, if I'm not writing one, brings me a great deal of joy. Yeah. So, but anyhow, so let's finish off um, with this. What's the biggest lesson you learned when writing your book? Oh, that's such a good question. So I would say that the biggest lesson I learned when writing my book is that there there is no moment where you set down the pencil or you turn off the computer and you say, I'm done. You know, in this way, a book really is like a living being. Um, There's always going to be something else. Even when the book is published and it's in stores and it's in your hand, you're promoting it and you're talking about it and you're still – living with it and working with it. And I was not, I, like, I, like if I had thought about it, I would have seen that that was the case because it's kind of obvious. But I didn't really get that until I went through the process. And, you know, because like I said, there's many phases of editing. There's many phases of polishing. And so, you know, this is a, this is, while you will be finished with the, the majority of the manuscript, like the book continues to unfold and and will continue to unfold for the rest of your life. And so I think that's something that you need to be prepared for when you take on a book writing project is that this is now with you, you know. And when it goes out into the public, like I really do believe that, you know, 
you don't, you don't, people are going to interpret it and understand it the way they are, and you don't have any control over that. But, but your devotion and dedication to the book is going to continue, you, no matter how many other books you write. Like, they all become that for you. And so that was something that I really learned in the process. What about you, Teresa? What was the biggest lesson that you learned? Save your work. <laughs> really? <laughs> Save your work. That was the most painful uh, part of the whole writing thing was losing that work. So the biggest thing that I learned was that. And, I mean, that's such a stupid basic lesson. But since that time, my backup my backup game is tight now because I never <laughs> want to go through that. <laughs> I never want to go through that again. So, you know, again, the biggest lesson, I've got discipline in spades. I've got ideas in spades. But I did not have backups in spades, and I will never, ever put myself in that position again. So that's Amen. the biggest lesson. <laughs> oh, right. Well, that, I mean, that is such an essential lesson. You're so, so right on. So that wraps up this episode of Talking Shop. So, Teresa, what was your biggest takeaway from this discussion? We covered so much. We did, and I love all of your talk around um, disciplining and putting things on your calendar because, you know, even though that's something that I do do, I think it's something that can't be spoken about enough, that if you really want to be a serious writer, you've got to take it seriously. It doesn't matter if you have a baby or a baby on the way. It doesn't matter if you have two book deadlines. It doesn't matter if you have cats that are going to claw your legs in. Um, you know, your thing about putting it on the schedule and, and really sticking down to that is is the thing that really – to me, is such an important part. So I would probably say that is my biggest takeaway um, from the whole thing, and I think that's going to be the biggest takeaway that other people get from this episode too. But what about you? What is your biggest takeaway or the favorite nugget of advice from everything we just discussed? It was the thing you just said, save your work. Like I think <laughs> that with writing, I mean, because I think with writing – like you're, you know, you're, you're so excited and it's such an opportunity and it's such a privilege and, you know, it, it has a lot of specialness around it. And so in all of that, it's really easy to forget about the essential practical thing, um, like saving your work, mm-hmm. right? And you forget about it until something happens and your files get eaten and then, you know, you are in major crisis mode. And so I I think that it's really important to keep stuff like that in mind and to have good strategies for supporting yourself as you go through the process so that you don't have to deal with with stuff like that. You know, it's just you don't have to mess with it. Right. I mean, it really all comes down to discipline and practicality. And we don't think about that. When we think about writing, we think of the creativity, the creative process, but the practical process is so bloody important. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. So we are done. And before we sign off, I love to remind everybody that if you're enjoying Talking Shop, you can listen to all the previous shows for free on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You just want to look for Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, and you're going to find all of the episodes there. You can also visit the Talking Shop archives on my page. You go to thetarolady.com, uh, click on podcasts, and you're going to hop on down to Talking Shop. It's all there. Where where can they find it on your site, Bree? So everyone, just head over to Brianna's 
Briannasasi.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-A-S-A-U-S-S-Y. And you click on the tab named Free Resources. Talking Shop will show up, as will all of the Talking Shop archives. So you can listen to our fantastic backlog. And you guys, if you are enjoying the show, and we really hope you are. I mean, this is a labor of love for us. But you could do us a real favor by leaving a kind review on iTunes because that's going to help more metaphysical business owners find their way to Talking Shop. And that is our official wrap for this episode. Join us again next month for another round of Talking Shop. And until then, you can find me, Teresa, at thetarolady.com. And you can find me, Bree, at briannasassi.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Keep taking action to build the mystical businesses of your dreams. Stay on your grind and make it a great month. We know you will. 